So he's saying that maybe stars came out of not a cloud, but maybe nothing. You know, if you just say stars came from nothing, that solves a lot of problems. Right. That the actually, I think, Wayne, we can get back to one primordial capital S star. It's not just a mechanism that starts stars or forms right. things in the universe. It's a who. It's, uh -huh. it's a someone. Welcome to another episode of Good Heavens, a podcast about the universe with Wayne and Dan, featuring brand new music from an up-and-coming young composer, Matthew Babineau. We hope you enjoy it. On this episode, Wayne and Dan talk about everything from computer problems to car problems to Dan making sound effects with an aerosol can. It all fits together. On this episode, we'll also be talking about, primarily, star formation. What are the modern theories of how stars form? How do you explain star formation without God, without a sentient creator, without Jesus? How do stars form from a purely mechanistic, naturalistic worldview? If this sounds interesting to you, we encourage you to stay put for the next 45 minutes, grab some tea or coffee, have a seat, and listen to two old guys talking about star formation. It ought to be a great show. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Good Heavens. How in the world are stars formed? Good Heavens, Wayne. It's another episode of Good Heavens. Well, this is like seven or eight now. I've stopped counting. <laughs> yeah, good heavens, Dan. I'm glad we're back, and we'll get get back at it here. We we are. We had a little adventure this morning. Uh, technical difficulties prevented us from doing our recording this morning. Uh, long story short, I have a new computer. <laughs> it was quite a long and circuitous route to get here, but here we are trying it again. Good heavens. <laughs> yeah, computers can be our friend or our enemy. That's right. That's right. But uh, so another episode. It's very exciting to be here and to talk about stuff we like to talk about. Uh, we are going to be talking about star formation, some current theories and ideas about how stars form. Um, and some interesting stories about stars. And uh, we hope you find this episode fascinating. We're just uh, two bachelors here rambling about stars. So however interesting that may seem to you, hang out for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, grab a cup of tea or coffee and uh, sit down and enjoy us just uh, rambling. And uh, we, we, we should uh, hopefully inform, entertain, and maybe uh, inspire uh, encourage, exhort. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen on this podcast, but hopefully something will. Uh, so anyway, Wayne, we're going to start off this podcast with some um, scripture about uh, the heavens, about stars, and how they relate uh, to Christ. And I have one from the Old Testament, and then uh, you have some from the New. One of my favorite verses is from the prophet Isaiah, who encourages Israel to lift up your eyes on high. And see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. How about that? Names for all the stars. Like I know like maybe 20. <laughs> right. And Dan, there's like three or four major star catalogs and, uh, we only name really just a few of them. The uh, principal bright ones. Yeah. yeah right. And for some reason, we we deal with those more, so we want to name them. But uh, God has names for all of them. We mostly number them. 
And uh, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of ancient star names out there, but there's no telling if the names that we know today are the ones that God actually gave them, or he has names that we don't know about. So I don't, I don't know if the names that we have today are the ones that he named. Probably not. Maybe there's a little mix there, but we just don't know. Right. But the point is that there's a name God knows for each one of these stars, and that's amazing. And I think encouragement to us, because he knows your name too, and, and my name, and we tend to get lost in the multitude, but he knows your name, just like he knows the names of stars. What do you have from the New Testament? I think you, you said you wanted to talk about John a little bit. Well, uh, I'm going to start with Hebrews 11.3, Dan. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, this is more... Uh, how do we how do we look at God as creator in general? So it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So that's exactly the opposite of most modern astronomy and cosmology that are looking for material explanations, natural explanations of star formation without God. Yes, yeah, so we start when we try to explain it with with what we know from science and physics, you you're trying to start with something you know exists and how can that change to to arrive at what we Right. We we, we know, know stars are there. Yeah. And so the the secular or natural astronomer or cosmologist will try to work backwards and say how did these form naturally yeah. without any kind of intelligence? We were having uh, dinner just a little bit ago, and you were telling me about an old astronomy book you found on your shelf from the 1970s with quite a sentence or quite a paragraph in it that I thought it would be very worth reading. This was a, a very well-known astronomer from Cornell, okay. Martin Harwit. Okay. And this is a very well-known book that he wrote, Astrophysical Concepts. And this is 1973. Yes, in 1973, it's an old book, but he sometimes the old books are very good in explaining the concepts, Dan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he had spent some pages in this book explaining about some of the complications of star formation as it relates to angular momentum of the stars that's spinning and then a magnetic field. So after going through a, kind of a technical discussion of that, here's a paragraph where he talks about the formation of stars. Let okay. Me, let me read some before of this. You, before you read it, let me just preface this by saying, we, we probably need to say this at the outset, the, the theories of star formation, star formation in general, is a real, when you get down to it, and it's a real mystery. There's there's theories out there about how stars form, but but the bottom line is it's it's a difficult, there are theories out there, all of most of which require stars to be in existence to create more stars. So the problem of star formation is a is a mystery, is a great mystery. Even though there are theories, there are a lot of unknowns in these theories, correct? Right, and and we don't really see the whole process. We don't see this directly happening. We infer certain things from what we see. Yes. So uh, stars are thought to form in uh, dark or dusty clouds. You know, when you see a picture of a nebula, Dan, where mm -hmm. it's glowing red or yellow or green and, and it makes a beautiful picture... That's not where they believe a star would form because those would come after the star has pretty much died out and yeah. blown up. So it's dark clouds that are thick and, and uh, with a lot of dust in them in many cases. That's where they, they think that stars could form. So the current theory says that out of a, just to, to, to set up this quote you're going to read from Martin here, 
the predominant theories about star formation is that they require a cloud mm-hmm. of gas and dust and gravity mm-hmm. to form a star. Um, but there are problems with that theory uh, today, as there were back in 1973. What is what is uh, the professor saying? Right. So let me uh, read some of his uh, book here. Early in our argument, we made an assumption that need not necessarily be correct. The association of dust clouds with recently formed stars is not absolute proof that stars form from these clouds. Some causal relation presumably exists, but is it impossible that stars just form out of nothing at all and that a lot of dust gets raised in the process? Such a picture, while unsatisfying because it postulates an apparently unphysical origin, after all, at least avoids the angular momentum and magnetic field difficulties. So he's saying that maybe stars came out of not a cloud, but maybe nothing. Right. And uh, Dan, so that's... Let me go on with the end of this, and I'll say some more. Yeah, that last part is amazing. The last part, he says, we should keep this important point in mind. Uh, Perhaps stars do form out of nothing. And he put an exclamation point there. He says, for the moment, however, we prefer to work as far as we are able within the framework of ordinary physics. So he's, he's, he's a, 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 an astrophysicist positing the possibility that stars could come out of nothing. But when he does that, he's eliminating, he says, what you just read, that, he's, that that postulation of stars coming out of nothing eliminates a lot of difficulty with mm-hmm. current models of star formation. Right. So the, the transition from one form of matter to the other can be really difficult to work out the, the details of physics of how that could happen. So, Dan, we have, we have we developed theories of physics that work for us in a lot of things, but there's always limits of what we can do with our science. Yeah, so that, that, that's a fascinating thing that poses such a difficulty that, that back in 1973, an astrophysicist was willing to posit the idea that maybe they didn't form out of clouds. Maybe they've formed out of nothing. It's not entirely off the charts of possibilities, right? Right, and Martin Harwood didn't talk about the supernatural. No, but, he didn't. But it, it seems like uh, supernatural creation could fit right into his yes, paragraph there. Right. He just didn't want to mention that. And that brings to mind the scripture in uh, God's question to Job. In the latter part of the book, in Job thirty-eight thirty-three, God asked Job, Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, or fix their rule over the earth? And of course, Job doesn't answer. Questions that God puts to Job are questions about creation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, well, I think all of them, are unanswerable, right? Right. We we can't go out there in the distant parts of the universe and, and actually watch it up close. And we weren't there in the beginning to see what happened back then. And nobody can go back in time and make a video of it, Dan. But uh, but God was there. and uh, He knows what happened. Uh, yeah, and I want to read something from John. Uh, this yes. is in the New Testament, John 1. This is John's gospel. And this is talking about Jesus. It starts out, um, the gospel here, talking about creation. He says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus, it says, is the creator. 
And uh, so we are we are finite. He is the creator. We are the creation or the creature. So we need to be honest about our own limitations. Yes. And uh, David in uh, Psalm 8, I love what he says. Whether it's poetic, whether what David says is poetic or literal, the implication is still pretty profound. In Psalm, uh, Psalm 8, I'm going to turn to it really quickly here. Uh, Psalm 8, David is talking about, he's talking to the Lord. David is looking up at the heavens, and he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, makes him wonder, What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, or some versions say a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. So when David contemplates the heavens, he says a couple of things that are pretty fantastic. Can you imagine uh, Jesus making stars with his fingers? Mm. The implication in the psalm there is that the stars were not a big deal to God to make. They weren't hard to make. It wasn't like... uh, you know, took an extraordinary amount of effort and time. Uh, they were made on day four, according to Genesis, by God's command. Right, and it's always amazed me, Dan, that the stars in the universe and all the vastness of space is just such a minor, a minor thing in Genesis chapter one. So God's focus in Genesis one is Earth and mankind on it, and. Uh, and you know, all it says about the stars really is, and the stars. It's it's a, it's like a minor uh, footnote. He created the stars also. You know, by yeah. the way, he made the stars. Um, before we get into the mechanics of some of the theories about, modern theories about how stars are formed, a couple of interesting stories, or one of them that I found to be very moving, uh, specifically is uh, one of the chief navigational stars uh, is the star Arcturus in the constellation Buotes, or I always used to think of it as boots. I'm probably mispronouncing it both. I'd have to go back and think about how to pronounce the name. But uh, the constellation, the star Arcturus, is to native islanders in the Pacific known as a uh, hokule, or the star of joy. I hope I'm pronouncing the hokule uh, properly. But it's called the star of joy. And uh, as one tirelessly plows through the waters of the Pacific, what outrigger wouldn't be delighted at the sight of its guiding iridescence, right? So you can imagine, Wayne, in a canoe in the Pacific going some 2,000 miles with all, all you have as a navigational guide are the stars. And so Arcturus is one of the chief navigational stars. And uh, it, it reminds me of Scripture when the, the uh, wise men who come to see Jesus see the star, and they're overjoyed too. So there's this yeah. joy of seeing starlight. You know, you're in the Pacific, you're sailing, you've got several thousand miles, and you see Arcturus right where it needs to be, you know you're headed in the right direction. And so it's hard to imagine. I couldn't get a, in a canoe and go 2,000 miles just with the stars as a guide. 2,600 miles in open water oh, wow. from island to island uh, yeah. in the Pacific. And uh, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Wade Davis who wrote a book called The Wayfinders, Why Ancient Wisdom Matters in the Modern World, uh, describes this journey pretty, 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 uh, pretty wonderfully. He says, Enshrouded by the night, the canoe itself became the needle of a compass that was the sky. Behind us, uh, Davis was in the canoe when this was going on. 
uh, they reenacted this and the people that were in the canoe could really do this in the modern time. He said, behind us sat the navigator, a young woman named uh, Ka'iulani, I think, and uh, she would remain awake for 22 hours a day for the entire voyage, sleeping only for a few fleeting moments when, the, when her mind demanded a rest. They could follow 220 stars in the night sky. She knew and could track all the constellations, Scorpio and the Southern Cross, Orion, the Pleiades, the North Star, Polaris. And so that these, these islanders in their canoe going 2,600 miles in open water by the guidance of the stars. And so, you know, it, it's like in our modern world, Wayne, we, we have transferred, we have lost that kind of wisdom. And now we're just talking about stars as, as mere chemicals, as, uh, that, that, that all a star is is just plasma and hydrogen and helium. I mean, I wonder how many cosmologists could jump in a canoe and navigate by the stars. You know, that would be, maybe some of them could. But, but for most of us, we, we look up and we don't see but a handful and we don't know how to navigate by them. We don't know their names. We don't know. It's just an, an ancient art and an ancient wisdom that we've lost, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, if, what if we were, uh, what if we lived on a planet like Venus? Venus, you couldn't see the no stars. stars. It's the, just, the atmosphere would obscure it all the time. Yeah, if it didn't kill you first. Yeah, that's another <laughs> problem. So <laughs> before we get into the modern theories, I have a story that kind of sets the stage here. A couple of months ago, I was having a car issue. Every time I'd hit the brakes, I'd hear a, a metal tap. I'd hit the brakes, tap. And it was going on, I'm like, oh. You know, brake problems, probably brake pads or something's clicking or something's stuck. And so I would I would drive in for a while and I was like, oh, I can't get brake pads right now. It's a couple hundred dollars. I'd, so I just kept driving and I just kept hearing the clicking. And I'm like, this is just going to get worse and worse. So this went by for about two weeks and uh, something completely unrelated. I was looking in the backseat of the car for something and I look under the driver's seat. And what do I find but an aerosol can of suntan lotion? That an aluminum aerosol can of suntan lotion. And I just had an epiphany at that moment. So I pushed it forward and it hit the metal bar underneath my driver's seat. And I said, no way. <laughs> so every time I'd hit the brakes, this thing would roll and hit the metal frame of my driver's seat. That was the clicking. So I took it out and I went and drove around and hit the brakes. No clicking. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And all this time you thought it was the brakes. Yeah, my theory was that it was the calipers or the brake pads or something in the brakes because it sounded muffled. It sounded like it was coming from the front of the car. <laughs> Every time I stepped on the brakes, I heard the clicking. What? That's a good theory, right? Something's wrong with your brakes. <laughs> but I look under my seat and how completely wrong I was about yeah. my theory, if you will. Now, the data looked good, right? It made sense to the senses right. to make this uh, correlation, but I was... I was way off. It was a sun, a can of suntan lotion. <laughs> yeah, we, sometimes we make an assumption, and we we need something to kind of shake us loose from our assumption. Uh, sometimes. Right, right. So God in His goodness had me look under my seat, and I'm like, oh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so this is not to say that all theories in astronomy or cosmology are all wrong, but sometimes we, we love a theory so much or we're, it makes so much sense to us uh, that it's actually completely, it, 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 it could be completely wrong. So we're not, we're not suggesting that all the theories out there are wrong, but we are kind of talking about how difficult it is to talk about star formation 
without Jesus, without God being the sentient creator of the universe who puts them there. I mean, if like and we were not there in the beginning, right? And like what Martin says, if you if you just say the stars came into being, that eliminates a lot of mechanical and mathematical and you know chemical and physical problems with star formation, because as you said at the beginning, star formation really is just a matter of conjecture. Not entire conjecture, but looking from looking at different stars in different places in the universe and sort of drawing lines, connecting dots, if you will, connecting stars to come up with a viable theory that, you know, as as most cosmologists and astronomers say today, that we don't need God to explain the universe. We have our laws and our mathematics. But when it comes to star formation, laws and mathematics kind of uh, uh, leave a lot to be desired. There's a lot of uh, holes in that. Right, so Dan, I uh, uh, I think we sh- there's nothing wrong with taking the science as far as we can take it, and I'm all for that. Uh, we need to be honest about the limits of it, and I think uh, we should not rule out the supernatural in the beginning. Right. Not it's it's we don't explain things now that happen now by assuming miracles all the time, but we. But when it comes to the beginning of the universe and first the first origin of things, yeah, it takes more than the kind of processes we're familiar with every day. Right, right. So we're not. I want to also establish we're not arguing classically for God of the gaps. We're not saying because we don't know, therefore God. We're just pointing out some uh, some basic difficulties with current star formation theory. Uh, we're not saying that that you know even if there was a mechanical process that astronomers happened upon, God would still be the author of it. Right. So so they could they might find how uh, some secret law that they don't know about yet. They might find some clues in the universe that lead them to see how stars came about. But in the end, even if they found a law or a mechanism, we would still attribute that to God. So we're not saying, well, we don't know, and then when they find out, then there's no room for God. That's God of the gaps, and we're not doing that. We're just showing that we're just going to show a couple of points about how star formation theories are still kind of in the dark, if you will, about how these things came to be. So the first theory we're going to talk about is something we all know, gas. I have a little can of canned air here from your computer console, and uh, stars... Current theory says that stars form, um, popularly uh, understood, stars form out of clouds of gas and dust, correct? Right. So gas, though, as I'm spraying this can, in the can is a high pressure. The gas has been condensed and compressed into a can. When I squeeze the trigger, gas is released and diffuses. It goes from a state of high pressure to a state of low pressure, just right. like human beings. We don't like to be under pressure. We're going to seek the low-pressure environment. Right. And so gas in the universe is floating freely about in these giant clouds. And so what needs to happen, if you can imagine, after I squeeze a can of air, trying to squeeze all that gas back into the can is something like what has to happen in, right. in it, star formation. It, in fact, it has to be a lot more dense than the gas in the can, Dan. It does. It has to be compressed to a very high degree. It has to exceed. So so if I let the gas out of this can 
and I try to capture all of the escaped gas, I have got to get it back to a level of density that far and away exceeds the pressure that it came from out of the can. Right. So the, the mystery of star formation right now is how do clouds of gas and dust condense to such a level to get a star going? You really need to squeeze the gas. But the problem when you squeeze gas, what happens, Wayne? Well, it gets heated up, and when it heats up, that tends to make it push back out again. Right, because you always see on the aerosol cans, don't get near a flame, don't get heated up. You heat up the gas, it's going to expand more and could cause an explosion. There's uh, the heat. The heat? It tends to make it expand back out, so it makes a limit on how much gravity can compress it. Gravity cannot take the gas and put it in the can. No, it can't, not by itself. and, and, And make it real dense like what it takes to make a star. Right. And there are other forces that hinder this too. So if a uh, a nebula in space is often... Uh, a nebula, somewhat, a nebula, by the way, is just another name for a cloud. Right? Yeah, a nebula yeah. or a cloud in space is often, some of it is electrically charged. And when electric charges are moving, then that makes a magnetic field. So if you have a huge, gigantic... Um, uh, clump of a, of a dark cloud in space it may have a very low magnetic field but when you if that cloud got compressed so it's much much smaller the magnetic field becomes much stronger and the magnetic field would tend to stop this contraction as well like putting like if you've ever put two magnets together <laughs> oppositely charged they push each other away right so. it starts moving the charges in a certain way so it keeps it from compressing so there's a there's an old quote in an old book I found about this Dan that explained this problem, and this is this comes from a book uh, on the origin of the solar system. But this book is from 1978. It's a very nice summary. It, it says it is not easy to transform an interstellar cloud into stars, and there are at least three difficulties to be overcome. The clouds are too hot, too magnetic. And they rotate too rapidly. So a lot, of the, so three strikes against a cloud just condensing to a point tight and dense enough to create the heart of a star. Right. And so the point is that if they start hot, then they're going to be more hot. If if you try if to you, squeeze if it, if they try to shrink. So mm-hmm. if gravity pulls in towards the center and it would tend to compress it. But there's a limit, and gravity can't overcome because the the pressure from the heat mm-hmm. will be more than gravity can right. do. And same thing with the magnetic force, and then the the rotation has the kind of similar effect. All of those things, heat, magnetic force, and rotation, at a certain level, will overcome gravitational forces and repel gravitational forces. Correct? It, 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 well, right. the gravity is just too weak to do the kind of squeezing. Of this of this gas, just like my hand is mm-hmm. insufficient to squeeze together the air that just came out of this can, like I can't grab the air and put it back in the can. My right. fingers don't have that strength or it's so. Another way to look at this, Dan, is uh, to you and I, gravity is a pretty important thing. We we are affected a lot by gravity. Holds us to but, the ground. But to an atom, gravity is is no big deal. Right. Gravity is kind of insignificant. It's most not of even the time. there. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, 
let me let me read another quote. Now this okay. that was an old quote from 1978, mm-hmm. but some some might think, well, what that was a long time yeah, ago. Come on, Wayne, what are, you, what are you doing? Why do you go back to 1978? Yeah, come on, well, that's when Star Wars came out. What okay, are you talking so about? here's a newer quote that's really kind of saying the same thing. This is from Neil deGrasse Tyson, okay. from 2007 in a book that he wrote. All right, and uh, so the problem is still the same problem. Today, So this is what Neil deGrasse Tyson said. He says, we know the cloud wants to collapse under its own weight to make one or more stars. But rotation as well as turbulent motion within the cloud work against that fate. So too does the ordinary gas pressure you learned about in high school chemistry class. Galactic magnetic fields also fight collapse. They penetrate the cloud and latch onto any free-roaming charged particles contained therein, restricting the ways in which the cloud will respond to self-gravity. So that's that's a much more recent quote, and it's really the same problem we've always had. So the scientific theories face these problems. And have we really explained all of this? I think scientists observe certain things, and they think that one object they see is connected to something else. So you see mm-hmm. the the dark cloud, and you can see uh, that there's objects inside that cloud that glow, and we might see infrared mm-hmm. radiation coming from it, and sometimes there might be microwaves coming from it. The low end of the electromagnetic spectrum. Right, so because microwaves or infrared can penetrate through dust and, yes. and gas in right. a dark cloud. Right. So we can we can tell something's there, but we don't really know how it got there. And when a, even if star formation theory worked, uh, while the star would actually be forming, there wouldn't be much radiation from it, so you wouldn't be able to see the act happening. Right. It's it's only because it it's in this certain environment with the dark cloud, and then. There's other stars around it that have certain characteristics that are usually very bright, and 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 we see something glowing inside the cloud. So it's sort of connecting the dots and saying these must be related. We're extrapolating from certain things and trying to come up with a scenario that connects these clouds to certain points in what we would consider, astronomers would consider, uh, the series of stellar formations. It's kind of like looking at fossils in the fossil record yeah. and, and creating a story, creating a theory out of the way in which the fossils are found in the rock layers. Um, but I, you, you mentioned Dr. Tyson in his, uh, he has a recent book that's very small that just came out called uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. And I've read, mm-hmm. I read it uh, not too long ago, but in one chapter, uh, he talks about the matter between, what's going on between the galaxies, what's going on in space between the galaxies. And as I read this chapter, in not maybe the span of, of several pages, I found these words. I just, these are all words right out of, it's not a quote, but these are all words right out of the book, uh, talking about uh, the stuff between the galaxies. Collide, mess, warped, burst, Spawned, violent, collision, strewn hither and yon, escaped, blobs, adrift, mayhem, floatsome, ammo, exploded, smithereens, homeless, cannibalism, ripped apart, consumed, corpses, eaten, junk, monstrous, hazardous, death, suffocated, dangers, and seething. (laughs) 
That's a 2017 book about the universe. It doesn't seem very hospitable or friendly. And I'm not saying that stars don't do things like that, but it shows you the kind of modern view of the cosmos is, is one that without God, the universe seems to be totally, well, in one sense, he's right. The universe is hostile toward us, but in another sense, um, it's not that we, we have been prepared a place here in the midst of all this. And so you want to make the universe without God seem dangerous. I think it fits what we're talking about in relation to theories, because the theories themselves are hostile to the idea of there being a creator behind the stars, right? So the universe is hostile to us in this way. Stuff blows apart. There's homelessness and cannibalism and things being ripped apart and consumed. And there's corpses of stars, stars getting eaten. Everything is hazardous and monstrous and it's all death. And then there's the, the secular interpretation of the stars that don't take God into mind. And I think without God, the universe is like that, right? Mm -hmm. what, what is the ultimate hope for us in a universe that is hostile toward us in this regard? What is the hope without a creator? And if, and if the universe is hostile, as we yeah. look at it like this, then why is it that we have a non-hostile environment? Right. We have, a, we have a nice, calm sun yeah. that doesn't have a binary uh, companion, doesn't live in a cluster of stars, is not too violent, it's not too bright, it's right. not and too hot. Our star, is a, our star is a very friendly one, Dan. It it's is. It's very stable. He's, he's kind and, and, uh, and compassionate, it, you know, and... Uh, but but so let's let's reiterate as we move on here talking about the gas cloud con condensation theory. So basically, the problem with cloud formation and gas formation, the compression of gas, is basically if you can think about it, trying to force that escaped air back into the can. That is essentially, I think, is that a fair analogy? Would you say, Wayne, that that that's the that's the kind of difficulty? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one thing. How do you condense a cloud uh, of gas to create the core that is necessary to ignite nuclear fusion? Because that's what we're talking about. That's what goes right. on at, so uh, at the stars. So scientists star. have put forward ideas to to be something besides gravity that would compress the gas. So what's yeah. out there for compression, gas compression theories? What are What is being postulated right okay, now? Okay, well, one of the main ideas is from supernova explosions. Okay, that's when a star just blows up, literally, right? Right, so a star uses up its its nuclear fuel, as you would say, and, and if it's large enough, then it may explode at the end of its time. Mm -hmm. And that would scatter elements all over the, the universe. But... Um, there's a major, extremely powerful shockwave from that kind of explosion. In fact, if there were planets in a system like that, Dan, the planets would probably be complete, completely obliterated. So there's where Dr. Tyson is right, that stuff gets monstrously ripped apart by a supernova, right? Yeah. Right. But let's say that there was a supernova in a certain place. So at some distance away, maybe there's one of these Gas dark clouds. molecular clouds. Yes. And this cloud would get hit by the shock wave, and the shock wave compresses the cloud. And so along the front of that shock wave, where the wave hits it, mm -hmm. there could be places where the gas is compressed. And so the idea is that the shock waves could compress the gas and dust enough that a, a star would kind of trigger 
uh, in certain places. The gas, that would be one mechanism that is postulated to put the gas back in the can, if you will. Shock so waves. If, if it compresses the gas enough, gravity gets help. will kind of take over if, if it's dense enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will stay, stay a, a, a dense object. But if it's not compressed enough, gravity can't, can't keep do anything. it stable that but way. the one obvious problem with this theory, Wayne, is what? Well, it requires one star to make another star. Right. So the question is, where did that trigger star that blew up come from? So which came first, the, the star or the star that made the star? It or, is, and you keep going back, how did the first star form? It's the cosmic chicken and the egg. The cosmic version of the chicken and the egg. Yeah, how did yeah. the first star form without a supernova explosion? The Big Bang does not explain how stars form. The Big Bang is about the expansion of the universe. It doesn't explain how stars or galaxies form. No, but the original, the theory that I understand that that comes out of Big Bang, it's not Big Bang itself, but the theory about the original stars in the universe has to be because supernova, the death of stars, according to modern cosmology's theories, produce heavier elements. So the carbon and then all of the stuff that we know about today on, on Earth, all of the heavy silicon, carbon, iron, all of this stuff is believed to have believed to be produced in supernovae. So in order to well, what about the early universe when there are no stars that are producing these heavier elements? What are the first stars like? Well, they have to be mostly hydrogen and mostly helium stars without any heavy elements in the early universe. They're, right, there'd be no there'd be no iron, there'd no, be no silicon. Right. And these are uh, called they have a term for these stars. They're called population 3 stars. Right. Uh and they're hypothesized to have existed on a large scale in the early universe. But the problem is how did these stars form? And the other interesting thing about population three stars is there's no evidence in the universe right now that they ever existed. Yeah, there's no, and not only that, we can see stars at different distances and galaxies at different distances. Yes, and so in the in the modern way of looking at this, the most distant objects would be the oldest, the closest to the Big Bang in time. Mm -hmm. Well. Those objects, the farthest away, the farthest galaxies, they should have a different composition than more recent ones. Because they're not filled with all the material that we have had. They would, they would have less metals. Yes, they would be more gaseous, more yeah. helium, more hydrogen-oriented. Yes, and there would be fewer of the higher atomic number elements. Right, gold, platinum, silver. Yeah, anything that's higher up on the periodic table. Right. So, But there's never been evidence like this. The most distant objects and stars and galaxies we know of just seem to be pretty much like any other stars at any other distance. They contain the heavier elements. Right. So you need stars to start stars. Right. So that's a chicken and the egg problem. What is So, so what's another theory that is proposed for uh, creating stars? Another theory uh, is using the idea that dust helps a cloud compress or, and contract. So... This seemed to be what Martin Harwood was describing in his book, Dan, that um, you start with a molecular cloud, a big gas cloud, dust cloud in space, and um, it's it has to cool down in order for gravity to compress it. And dust helps 
it compress. But there's a couple of problems with this is that there still runs into a limit because as if gravity compressed the cloud, there would still be uh, heat generated from that compression that would stop the compression. Right. And secondly, where does the dust come from? You need heavier elements to make dust. That's right. You have to have supernovas. You still need to get the dust. Right. The dust is leftover solar detritus from previous supernovas. So we're still at the problem here. The second theory is still problematic because you still need supernova other stars to create stars. Right. So it still doesn't explain where the very first star Do we have another theory? Could come from. That got, that finally solves the problem? Well, there's another theory, but it still requires more stars. More stars. So th there's another theory that you you could have gas clouds or maybe galaxies that could collide. And that collision could compress gas enough to make stars. And the collision, I've heard, also could create supernova that could... Yes. Yeah. But you need, in order to have galaxies, you have to have stars. You have to have something to collide to you do something else. You have to have something to collide. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, think, uh, I think what Martin was saying here earlier, that you know, if you just say stars came from nothing, that solves a lot of problems. Right. But I like that the actually, I think, Wayne, we can get back to one primordial capital S star that created all these. Uh, the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24. He says that I see a star rising out of Jacob, you know. <laughs> and then Revelation 22:16 calls Jesus the bright and morning star. And then the Magi come to uh, Jerusalem and ask Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And Herod is enraged and Jerusalem is all troubled by the arrival of the Magi and the news that the, that the king of the Jews has been born. There's, and then, of course, Jesus in John eight twelve, he's known as the light of the world. And then I think Malachi talks of Jesus, prophecies of Jesus as the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness in Malachi 4, 2, I believe it is. So Jesus as the bright and morning star is the one that started all the stars. He's the, right. he's the primordial creator and uh, sustainer and the namer of stars. And he calls them all by name. Right. And Dan, this is so That's interesting. That's so neat. This is so interesting because scripture... Uh, makes it a personal thing. It does. It, it's not just a mechanism that starts stars or forms right. the things in the universe. It's a who. It's uh -huh. it's a someone. It's a someone. Someone did this. It's not a law. It's, it's not, not a just number. A, a process that this. Right. It's someone with a name. With a name. And his name is Jesus. The name is Jesus. That's the, what scriptures say. That's right. That's right. And I think uh, I think that 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 when you get down to it. Astronomers and scientists will say the laws do it, right? The, yeah. the laws or math does it. But si right. sixes and sevens don't make suns, mm -hmm. right? Tens and twenties don't spin galaxies. Mm -hmm. E equals mc squared only describes what's going on. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. You can write E equals mc squared on a piece of paper and erase it, and there's still something going on, right? It's just poetic description of what we observe. But I, I concur with Dante, one of my favorite lines in all of literature. Uh, that the love that moves the sun and other stars. It's not a force. Mm. It's not a mathematical equation, although the math does eloquently describe what scientists see, but it's not the law itself that is creating the stars. It is Jesus 
the name above all names, who is the sustainer and the creator of the universe, who has created everything for his glory. God has created everything for the glory of God in Christ. So we, we study the laws of the heavens or try to work it out, but there is someone behind those laws. Yeah. It's yeah. the source of it. He's the lawgiver. We got time for uh, one more theory. You want to wrap it well, up? Let me here? give some kind of quotes where people have kind of uh, scratching their heads. Science have uh, scratched their heads over star formation and okay. how difficult the process is. Okay. Uh, there's one uh, one statement from uh, the journal Science from 1990 uh, from a scientist named Lada and Shu. They said uh, the origin of stars represents one of the most fundamental unsolved problems of contemporary astrophysics. And here's another one. Um, this is from a guy named Carlos Frank, uh, quoted in another source in Science Magazine. This is 2004. Uh, he said, We're starting from a shaky foundation. We don't understand how a single star forms, Yet we want to understand how 10 billion stars form. Here's another comment from Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, Dan. This is from the same book from 2007 that I used uh, before. He said, if none of us knew in advance that stars exist, frontline research would offer plenty of convincing reasons for why stars could never form. Mm. That's Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm sure Dr. Tyson believes stars can form in space, but but the the difficulties with explaining it really in detail um, uh, tells me that it, there's plenty of room for just believing uh, God created and that something in the beginning was very special. It's not something that happens today necessarily. You know Carl Sagan at yeah. the end of one of his Cosmos episodes. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it's called The Lives of Stars. I could be wrong about that. But he concludes the episode with this, and I've seen the episode remake with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And Carl Sagan says at the end of this episode, he says, if we must worship a power greater than ourselves, does it not make sense to revere the sun and other stars? And Neil deGrasse Tyson repeats it at the end of his remake and so here, here is, you know, two well-known popular astronomers making the claim that uh, we ought to reverence the stars. But what does that say, Wayne? It says that within the stars is what Romans says, that the stars show forth God's invisible attributes. So much so that two well-known popular astronomers will go so far as to say we ought to revere the stars. There's something in the stars God's glory, we know to be, God put his glory in the stars. They declare his glory. And even the secular astronomers can pick up on this and say, you know, it reminds me that I need to worship something. Well, that, that just bugs me, Dan, because why worship a thing? Advocating I want to worship a someone, not a thing. Right. But they know what's interesting is that the stars make them conscious or cognizant yes. of the necessity of worshiping a power greater than ourselves. Right. But they stop at the stars. They, they stop and they don't take this, the next step towards They stop at the created believing thing. Believing in the creator, right. Right, they don't go to the creator. Well, Wayne, that's going to wrap up our wonderful time here. We're going to have to, we barely scratched the surface on stars. We could probably do 
a hundred more episodes on just stars. I have a, a couple of weird stars that are wonderful stars that I didn't get to. So maybe we can do a sequel on uh, on star formation or, or star lore or something like that. But uh, I've yeah, enjoyed our time tonight. There's a lot of uh, weird and bizarre stars out there. That would we could be, do a, like yeah. an exoplanet episode. We could do a weird star episode. That's right. Because <laughs> there's so many stars out there that defy explanation in terms of... Uh, current theories right, right? so uh-huh. there, there's a lot of that out there but anyway uh, we hope you've enjoyed our rambling we thank you for tuning in and, and enduring uh, these 45 minutes with us we hope uh, it has been time well spent uh, if you want to write us a note uh, you can email me at psalm1968 at gmail.com that's psalm1968 at gmail.com for any feedback that you want to offer us here on good heavens and we thank you so much for tuning in Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've been edified, encouraged, and and, uh, and entertained at least. And uh, we thank you once again for tuning in. And Wayne, we will see you next time on Good, Good Heavens. Heavens. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Good Heavens. And we would love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop Wayne or Dan a line, please do so at Psalm. 1968 gmail.com p-s-a-l-m 1968 at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you and we will try to get back to you as soon as we can thank you again for listening and we hope to see you next time on Good Heavens Good Heavens